And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. My experience, labor people are, are incredibly practical uh, and, and will try to reach an agreement that they can live with uh, rather than the best possible agreement. We're back. Did you miss us? I'm Evan Drellick, senior baseball writer for The Athletic. Welcome back to our labor show that we do every Wednesday, typically, on The Athletic Baseball Show. Last week we did it on Friday. It's kind of an emergency pod right after the lockout. Uh, This week we're back at our regularly scheduled time. I don't come bearing a lot of news or even particularly good news. Uh, The update is there really isn't an update. Uh, The latest I have is that we don't know yet and the parties don't know yet when they're going to start talking again they haven't firmly formally scheduled a date that's not surprising after the meetings in dallas last week they basically retreat to their corners you know i guess take a shower take a breather for for two minutes regroup get their positions and strategies together and then the bargaining will pick up but i think it was apparent that they weren't going to get a deal done in december and I don't think that's changed. I'm not a betting man, but I would not bet on a deal getting done this month. I think January will be quite intense leading up to the start of spring training, or at least the expected start of spring training in February. We've got a two-prong episode for you this week. First up is Andy McCullough, one of our national writers, a feature writer extraordinaire, who just had some questions for me that he, he wanted to ask, and we thought, why not? Let's just go through it, Andy. You, you have that privilege if you want to get some things off your chest and, and go through how this is all working as best uh, that I can explain it. So that's the first segment. And then we've got Dave Leach, who is a professor, an adjunct professor at Brooklyn Law School. And he's now retired, but he spent 45 years at the National Labor Relations Board. So somebody who very much knows the ins and outs of collective bargaining and how the NLRB works. So if you have an interest, uh, even if you don't have an interest, in the more technical side of this and what the function of the NLRB is, uh, it's a particularly good listen. Before we go there, I wanted to quickly go over a little bit of sound from last week. Rob Manfred spoke for about 10 minutes. Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer of the Players Union spoke for a little bit longer uh, in their own press conference. There's a lot we didn't use last week's episode. One thing that sticks out to me is a conversation that's kind of ongoing about how much these sides like each other, and then within that, how much does that matter? So here's Rob Manfred speaking first, and then we've got Tony Clark, and both of them are addressing this topic. The whole relationship issue, you you know, um, I think people put 
way too much emphasis uh, on that issue. At the end of the day, it's about the substance. We're here, they're there, we need to find a way to bridge the gap. I think it's overstated. Well, I say that because fundamentally, um, the interests of management don't often track the interests of the union. Um, and so there are, are inherent friction points that are part of the relationship anyway. The last two years have been challenging for all involved, fans, the game, uh, both sides uh, of the equation. Um, and so uh, I, I think uh, it makes for a nice headline, but at the end of the day, a deal is going to get done and the game and the industry is going to move forward. There may be differences of opinion along the way. Those differences of opinion may manifest themselves behind closed doors. They may manifest themselves in public. But MLB represents the clubs. We represent the players. And as a part of, of that equation, we will continue to work together and move the industry forward. So the first thing I try to do whenever, basically I hear anything from either side, is try to figure out, all right, what's the self-interest here? Should we accept or could we accept possibly what they're saying on face value? I do think it is in their self-interest, both sides' self-interest, to paint their relationship as functional. And I don't think that point should be ignored. However, in, in my evaluation, I think what they're saying is probably right. I, I don't look at what they're saying and hear it and, and go, you know what, I think they're lying. Um, the relationship between the players and the owners has undoubtedly been chippy and rancorous at times. You saw it even get ratcheted up a little bit last week when you have Manfred with his press conference and Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer with theirs and both sides saying it's the other who's screwing this up. Um, it's probably important to remember, though, that it's not supposed to be perpetual harmony. That That's not the way this system is designed. Um, now, even within that, so if you kind of accept the baseline, that, yeah, no, they're not always going to get along. It's a management group, and it's a labor group, and they're self-interested parties, and they're representing their own interests. Even within that, it is certainly possible that the relationship can get to a point where you go, oh, this is, this is no good. Bad, 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 bad. And at times, it's probably been there. If you think back to 2020 and the effort to restart baseball from the pandemic, you had letters flying back and forth, and some of those letters were published in the athletic, you know, the league sending a letter to the union, the union sending a letter back, just a lot of public sniping. It's not good. Now, they, they were, at the end of the day, they didn't actually get to an agreement last year. They, they did end up playing baseball, so the result was still there. There is a grievance pending uh, from that quarrel, that squabble last year uh, over how many games the season should have been and all this. I, I think it is important to remember as you go through it, as you hear things throughout this lockout, that it's not designed, it's not a system that's designed to always be happy. And even if they are being negative, it doesn't necessarily mean things aren't working as they're supposed to. There's this kind of 
like default position for people that, well, why can't they just get along? Because the system isn't designed for them to get along. It would be odd if they were always getting along. And then you, you just hedge on that and say, but, you know, it can also get to a point where uh, it's, it's really not good, you know, and we'll, we'll see if it does get there. We've, we've still got a little bit of time. All right, here's Andy McCullough uh, and his role reversal with me. I'm going to be his interviewee. So I'm going to hand over the keys for this segment. Uh, Andy McCullough of the New York Star-Ledger famously is joining us, and he used to host his own show here, and he did something in the playoffs where he was hosting again. So he knows how to host. Uh, but he, he texted me the other day and said that he, he wants to get to the bottom of this lockout thing, and he's got questions for me. So apparently, you know, because I have all the answers, I guess, uh, he's just going to grill me for some amount of time. I have not seen the questions, so I might not have answers for the questions. But Andy, the floor is yours. Thank you, Evan. Um, I feel like you and I have a lot in common as I have hosted three separate podcasts for The Athletic, which have all been canceled. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you famously got fired. Um, not so. from radio, from TV, <laughs> not from radio. All right. All right. All right. All I right. actually turned down a radio job to join The Athletic. Wow. Fun that's fun fact. Wow. Man, what a voice oh, like this. Yeah. 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 We, we should play the song. I, I need to record the. Anyway, all right, let's we'll get into this. Uh, all right, I have questions. Why are the players on strike? Well, they're not on strike. It's it's a lockout. A so lockout? What's a lockout? <laughs> uh, well, a lockout is kind of the management equivalent of a strike. So the National Labor Relations Act uh, c- codifies these two tools that you can use. One is for uh, the employer, one is for the employee. And so this is the employer taking an action to say, you can't show up to work, players. Uh, we're, not, we're not running the business until we get a new collective bargaining agreement. And you can't have a strike or a lockout, at least legally, uh, when you have a CBA in force. How's that? What, what did you tell your family at Thanksgiving is happening? Oh, that, you, you presume I speak to my family at Thanksgiving? No, oh, I did. Geez. I actually had a lovely. I had a lovely. It's getting darker and darker. <laughs> um, I, we didn't. I don't think we really talked about the lockout uh, at Thanksgiving. You know, we we, we talked about life and, and non-baseball things. Uh, so no, I didn't tell them anything about it. All right. Um, why won't anyone in baseball return my calls? Um, hmm. uh, uh, maybe maybe you've written too many mean things about too many baseball players. Maybe the you know the the Bill Plaschke wannabe stuff. I I don't know. I don't know. What <laughs> I don't All know. right. What? Okay. So we got a lockout, right? The owners put it in. What what is happening right now? Is there anything going on? Is there there's no discussion? And is there what's happening? Strategy. Um, there's, what is strategic about this? The, the strategery. They, they are strategizing ah, right okay, now. Okay, they, okay, they are, they, okay. So they, they were meeting in Dallas, remember last week. They had the final bargaining sessions leading up to the expiration of the CBA. It expired. They didn't have a deal. So now they go back to their corners. They go, they go back to their offices. They go back and have meetings. And they reset. And I don't know when they're actually going to start talking. Uh, the latest I have, and I, I've already said it in the, in the intro to this, is that they don't have anything scheduled. So... They'll probably start having some conversations this month, but I don't think anything's going to pick up incredibly soon. You know, strap yourself in, love. It's going to be a while. So they're just going to – they're just they're just sitting – they're not doing anything. Right now no, – right. They're, they are not, you know, locked in a room 
in heated bargaining talks right now. No, they are they are preparing and planning for the bargaining talks to resume. Is this necessary? Is it necessary? Well, the players would tell you that the lockout was not necessary, that it was a uh-huh. it, it was a conscious choice by management, which in, it indeed was. But management, the commissioner's office, Rob Manfred, would tell you they needed to do this because, uh, A, they think it, it has the best chance of having the season be in an uninterrupted, that if, if, you, if you make this move now, you kind of f- exert pressure to, to force everybody to get a deal done. You know, Tony Clark batted back against that idea, said it was a provocative thing for, for players. So players don't like being locked out. It's not something you want. Um, but, yeah, so necessary depends who you ask. I don't get it. <laughs> what don't you get? Well, I just what, – what pressure are the players feeling right now? Yeah, well, I mean that's kind of the crux of it is, is there isn't pressure until money starts to flow. They don't get paid, as you know during the off season their paychecks are during the regular season and so right. that's why this might end up waiting until you know the start of spring training and then the question is do they actually have it done to start spring training and on time do we have to miss some of spring training but yeah the real pressure point is once you you know arrive at a, at a point when you're missing you know some work event and and the work event you know no offense to the winter meetings no skin off anybody's back uh, you know, it, it's it's really once games start to be played, even spring training games, that it matters. Well, w- wouldn't it be better for the sport if they were like sitting together trying to work this out? Yeah, no. They, <laughs> I was talking to somebody involved. Uh, I, I, I won't reveal who, but who's who saying they just they love when 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 writers will write. They need to just lock themselves in a room and, and hammer it out. Yeah, I, it, theoretically, that'd be great if they were just doing marathon bargaining. Um, but that's clearly not not how it works. They're they're, they're not you know they've got to. Well, I think when you're this far apart, you, you do have to kind of. There's a lot of going back and discussing with all right. Well, do we want to move on here? Like when you when you kind of get to the point, and I, I'm speculating here. Nobody's explained this nitty gritty to me, but this is what my you know my gut instinct says. When you when you have a general agreement and say all right, we're going to go in this area. And you got to work out like one term of it, you know. I don't know. Let's say it's. Let, let's say you were working out the league minimum, okay? Uh huh. Is it is it six hundred thousand? Is it six hundred fifty thousand? Is it five hundred eighty thousand? Whatever the number is, you know. Then yeah, okay. You could probably lock yourself in the room and you're not leaving until you find that number. Um, but they're they're, the the concepts are so far apart at this point that. You know, you, you can you can sit in a room, I guess, and, and do it. But uh, I, I think that waits until um, until a there's more pressure, like if there were games approaching, uh, and and b until you have a little bit more general direction, which they they don't really have at this point. You look confused. Yeah, I just. Uh... Oh, well, there's so many interesting things you said. Evan, you've done just such a good job covering this that, you know, I feel like I'm learning so much. Uh, I like it when uh, rich people tell you you're an idiot because you don't understand how things work. That's always fun uh, when when we do that. They, I guess tell, me, they tell me that. Well, they tell me that too all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's every conversation I've ever had with like a, a really good player. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <laughs> okay, okay. What um, what do the owners want? You know, it's actually, it, it was, I had my, I, I, I'm not complaining, a little bit complaining. I had my hand up to ask one more question at Rob Manfred's press conference in Dallas, and that was going to be the question: was can you what you know what are what besides getting a deal done? What are the actual objectives here? And I don't ex- think they would have outlined much because neither side wants to um, to give away too much as far as specific positions go. But the general understanding is the league is pretty happy with the status quo. They they don't they don't mind where it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and they would like to keep it uh, relatively close to where it is. And actually, we, we can throw to some sound here real quick here of uh, a question I asked to Bruce Meyer, the union's lead negotiator, about what specifically do the players want? And you can hear that you know, they're not going to specify it for you. We, we haven't drawn those kinds of lines in the sand. We've made proposals. Um, we, we ma- we've maintained certain proposals proposals that we believe are, are important um, but you know we we're willing to to talk about anything and one of the frustrating things this week was the league would tell us why they didn't like our proposals and we said okay we'll make make a counter proposal make your own proposal and they did um, we, we have decisively rejected certain of their proposals which we believe will actually make the system worse for players I mean, our objective, obviously, is to change the system in a number of different areas to address concerns that we have. To date, the proposals the league has made, um, you know, in our view, taken as a whole, would make the system worse. So going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Wow. Uh, You know, it's interesting, actually. I uh, was able to get my hand up and ask a question and commit an act of journalism. I I asked uh, multiple questions. Last week. And uh, I I actually asked Steve Cohen, you know, uh, if he agreed with Scott Boris and Max Scherzer, his new pitcher's contention, that teams need to be incentivized to compete. And he told me Hmm. that he was deferring comment to Rob Manfred. So you really shouldn't have been dragging ass at that press conference and you actually should have you know, committed of knack of journalism. I, be, I believe the there fire. was at least, I think I asked at least three or four questions. Yeah. We okay. had the audio. So, 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 okay. So the owners like this deal, right? Like the general perception, right, is that in 2011 and 2016, probably 2016 specifically, the owners won the negotiations and, they, and there are, the terms of the deal are favorable to them. Correct. Right. So like when you talk about the gulf between the two sides, Mm-hmm. It's really what the players want to change. Correct. Now, 
the way that now I now I you know I'm not a <clears throat> I'm not an attorney, um, but I I did purchase an LSAT prep book last year when I was considering a career change, uh, and I discovered that I would not do well enough to get into a law school. Um, not yet. Keep trying. Yeah, that's true. My understanding of how these things work, right, is that the players have to give something up in order to get something back that they've already negotiated away because all the things that they seem to dislike, you know, the CBT, uh, the qualifying offer, etc., um, were not like codified in the rule book 100 years ago. It's stuff that they negotiated for in the last decade. What do they have to give back in order to get the things that they want? Yes, you 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 hit on a very interesting uh, part of this, and it's something that I don't know that I quite wrapped my little pea brain around uh, for some time. In bargaining, it's not always about horse trading. Like, yes, the players can agree to an expanded postseason, uh, and that will provide some more money that the owners want, and so that's something the players can trade. But if if you look over time. In, the, in collective bargaining, not even just in baseball, what, what often brings about major change is the power to say, I'm not going to go to work, is, is we're not going to have, this is not a fair deal, and uh, unless you change it, we're, we're not going to have a deal. And, and so, you know, the notion of, well, the players would have to have something to give, A, they've actually been pretty public about the deal needs, to, in their opinion, needs to swing in their direction. Um, but but B, uh, it, if you, if you look at the major changes, it, it's often the case that there hasn't been some great give back because if if it was that way, you you would never really see movement in one direction. It would always kind of be, uh, you know, if, if you were looking at a percentage basis of revenue, then it's always just going to be moving money around, you know, instead of uh, if if players had fifty five percent of of money or or fifty percent. It would always stay the same, but that hasn't been the case, right? Throughout throughout time, it, it's it's moved in different directions. So, yeah, horse trading is important, but I, I think when it comes to big issues, it's really are you willing to plant your flag and say, nope, we're we're not doing this. You got to change this, right? So, what the players have to offer, or pers- what the players have, right, right, is the ability to withhold their labor, correct? And that's the thing that they would have. That's the that's the 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 cudgel they have per se. It's it's so a cudgel did, on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right, okay, right, right. But the owners also like they have the upper hand because they have a good deal. They the last deal was good. Like so the things that they that the owners would want to keep, they already have. They would want, they already have, right? They like the CBT. They like the qualifying offer. They like, you know, destroying the draft for no reason. Uh, they like the minor league reduction. Um, you know, they like all these things, right? Sure. What the players want are things that they need to uh, change. Yes. And the, the thing the players have in order to enact that change is withholding their labor, right? Uh, that's right. That's the right way So to why it. does everyone say, all the, you know, you guys who, you know, and we'll cut to a clip from our pal Jason Stark after this who can outline what your life is going to be like this winter. Uh, why does everyone say that there's not going to be games missed? Um. Because there's so much money on the line and nobody wants to not make money. And so the impetus is to get something done such that, uh, you know, you're not sacrificing the, the millions of dollars that come into a stadium on, on a nightly basis. That, that, that's the operating logic. But by the way, if you, if you sit there and go, I don't think they're going to get this done in time to play a full season. 
I think it's a relatively low percentage, but it's certainly above a non-zero chance that happens. You know, if they played 154 games, they played 140 games. At this point, anything is in the realm of possibility. It would just it would be pretty stunning to me if they missed, you know, a season or or even a real significant chunk of it. Um, particularly at this point where you don't have, and I've said this on multiple podcasts, and maybe at some point they'll identify it. You don't have that one issue that, that you can look at and go, this is what they're, 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 somebody needs to give me a better phrase. I don't like involving death, but this is the hill they are going to die on. And we don't know what either hill, what either side's hill of death is at this point. Speaking of men dying on hills, let's go to that clip from Jason. We'd be sitting there waiting for Don Fear and Bud Selig and a bunch of owners to come out and accuse each other of all sorts of dastardly stuff. And all I could think was, when do I get my life back? When do I get to be joyous? When do I get to hug my loved ones? How did I get here? How do I get out of here? So, so, so there was no holiday cheer in, in those moments there? No, there was not. And so but so luckily now that is Evan Drellick's job to provide us with the play-by-play until this thing ends. So I just want to say this. Evan, you're my hero, man. For for many reasons, but especially this reason. Good luck to you. Have a joyous holiday season. That was Jason Stark talking about the 1994 labor negotiations uh, on Tuesdays at the athletic baseball show. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm stressed. I actually, I literally, this is, this happened. Uh, what time is it now? Within the hour. So, so right before we, we were recording, I, I messaged our, our boss, Emma Spann and, and said, basically I, I'm cooked here unless there's breaking news. Like just, you know, pretend I don't exist. For a few what are you days. cooked with? There's nothing happening. Well, I, you know, I've, a lot of travel since the middle of the playoffs. It's been just well, the, oh. the travel adds up. I got laundry. You want to come over and help me out with the laundry? No, you know? I'm not. I, I I'm not going to Queens. No. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. Okay. You had to get on a plane to cover the World Series, and then you had to go to Dallas or something. Yeah, it's tiring. The whole thing is tiring. You know, the covering covering of labor is is while I intellectually enjoy it as I as I try to get my my head around it. Uh, you know, you're, you're 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 constantly stressing over every sentence and filtering things, and it's so many little details. It, it's like an act of reporting. You know, it's a little different than than you stand there and, uh, Mr. Coach. You know, uh, how do you feel about the win today? It's you know, it it, it can be stressful. Is it just because no one, none of the co Mr. Coaches liked you that you like doing this? There's a couple who a couple who did, yeah. I I, I don't know. Do, do do the people in labor like me now? You know, I, I, this is not a line of work you get into to be loved, as I've uh, I've well learned. Uh, you know, when everybody loves you, you'll never be lonely, as Adam Durrett said. That's depressing. Uh, okay. All right. All right. So. The so what's gonna happen? So what's gonna happen is the owners are. Kind of going to crack. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be, I think, shocking if the players did not achieve some of what they want, and it would be also shocking if the players achieved all of what they want. The the, the presumed outcome for me, and I think for most people, is it will move somewhat in the players' direction, and the question is how much, and you know, in what issues, right? Is it only the luxury tax thresholds that go up? Is it only the league minimum that goes up? Uh, or, or do they, you know, add something of 
I think what I would consider probably a more significant gain. And, and it would, would really depend how much you expand arbitration, right? If you, if, are you just expanding the Super 2 class? Um, you know, but, but thus far, MLB is saying you're not touching revenue sharing and you're not touching time to free agency and you're not touching arbitration. That's according to Bruce Meyer, the union negotiator. Right, right. But they will probably be like, yeah, you want a little bit more on the big league minimum. Okay, fine. You yeah. want to make the CBT uh, go up higher. It, it, you know, I wrote about this last year. Like, it's not that teams were wary of going over the CBT. They're not even approaching it. Right. Like they're, I, yeah. they're not even – it's not that they're like getting to within $5 million and holding the line. They're $25 million, $30 million away. The overwhelming majority. There's only a couple teams who even come close to it every year, let alone surpass it. Well, that's why it's kind of an issue. Like what the union explains is that it, it, it really is a, a set of mechanisms that they think can achieve change, right? And so – you know, whereas I say, what is that single issue, the, the hill to die on topic? Um, they they do see it as, you you, you know, you, you you move the CBT, you address tanking, you uh, potentially address draft pick compensation, right? Mm-hmm. So so if you're signing a player, you, do do you have to give up a draft pick or not? And MLB, you know, is within a package, so you can't isolate the the elements necessarily, but they they've shown a willingness to talk about. Uh, getting rid of draft pick compensation. So it, it, you're right. It, you, just moving the CBT, well, what does that necessarily do? They think in, in, a, in a totality of, of the things they want, they could get to a place where there's effectively more money coming to their membership. And that is their goal. All right. I think I get it now. It's a lockout, not a strike. You understand that? Yes, I do understand that, okay. Evan. That was setting you up to explain what a lockout Oh, is. I see. That was... Um, Audio comedic uh, stuff. Got it. Understood. <laughs> Purposeful. Intentional. Also, I think everyone in baseball is not returning my calls because there's like a media blackout. Or it's what you said, that none of them like me. I oh, right. Know. Yeah, they said you, you can't talk to people. Um, yeah, you can't talk to anyone. So Yeah, yeah people will still talk. Maybe to you. To I mean, some people. Yeah. To know. Ken Rosenthal. Yeah. That's right. Our captain. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is great. So I passed the test. I passed the audition. I don't. I don't yeah. care. Okay. Now I can go back to shuffling my poker chips. Yeah, you, you're the host. You got to thank me for joining you. This yeah, good. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Evan. Uh, thank you for uh, joining me uh, on the latest edition of Labor of Love, or whatever it is you're calling this podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Dave, thanks so much for making some time to join us. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Evan. Thanks for asking me to uh, to join you. So you spent 40 years at the National Labor Relations Board, and I want to hear about your work there and what the NLRB does. But before we get to that, has baseball been a part of your life? Have you, are you a baseball fan? Yeah, you know, ever since uh, my Uncle Ray took me to a uh, Major League Baseball game, one of the last games at Ebbets Field before oh, wow. they shut down, and uh, walked out as a kid into the uh, open you know, part behind the stadium and seeing it. You know, you were hooked from that point on. But yeah, baseball has been been a great fan. Can you can you explain to people who who might not have much familiarity with the NLRB 
what it does, what, 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 what its purpose is, how it operates. I know there's regional offices and you became a regional director, but, but the basic crash course in, in the NLRB's function. Yeah, sure. Uh, back in 1935, um, Congress passed uh, the National Labor Relations Act. Um, it uh, is a law that um, provides workers with the basic right to join, form a support union. They have the right to bargain collectively through unions that they choose. Uh, and they have the right to engage in concerted activity for mutual aid and protection, including you know, striking, uh, you know, to get better uh, position. If you go back in history to um, uh, Samuel Gompers, you know, he, he said that uh, unionization, uh, when he formed the AFL-CIO back in, 19, in 1886, he said that unions, you know, uh, substitute collective strength for individuals' weakness. So collective bargaining has been the, uh, the answer. Um, back in 1935, when the laws uh, had no, uh, no uh, say in uh, any strikes, they, they couldn't decide the issues. Uh, they tried enjoining, they tried to, you know, uh, police tried arresting people who tried to, uh, to organize and, and picket. And finally, the act was passed just to give workers those basic rights to join, form and support a union. Um, the statute, um, you know, in Section 7, which gives those rights, uh, says employees have the right. So uh, employers don't have those rights. The unions don't have those rights. These are rights of workers to decide for themselves whether they want representation. Uh, in 1935, the day he signed the law into, um, in, into law, uh, Franklin Roosevelt said the statute is at its heart a, um, an enforcement statute um, to enforce the rights under Section 7. Got it. So in, in your role uh, as a regional director and as prior to that, were, were, what, what, what was the task? Was it investigative mostly? Uh, is it following yeah. through on complaints and charges? Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting agency. It's, it's divided into two parts with only six people being political appointees. There is the board, the uh, quasi-adjudicative body, that um, uh, has the, the, uh, the role of deciding disputes, you know, cases that are brought to the board. Uh, and they're all presidential appointees confirmed by the Senate. Uh, then there's the general counsel side. The general counsel is, is basically the person who can investigate charges um, and, and decide which cases should be brought before the board. So regional directors um, in the regional offices, and there are 26 of them around the country, uh, where um, a regional director with delegated authority from the general counsel will investigate any claims of unfair labor practices. Uh, and once they investigate the case, um, will determine whether or not to issue a complaint uh, to litigate the case before an administrative law judge who works for the board. And then that case could go from the judge to the board. Um, or whether they dismiss the case. Well, so you're, you're teaching now, you're, you're no longer at the NLRB. Yes. Do, do you have any reaction when you hear MLB isn't a lockout? Do you start to follow it uh, more? Well, yeah, I mean, I think all of us start to follow uh, baseball, those of us who are fans, uh, you, know, the, you know, we kept hearing, you know, something was gonna happen, most likely there would be a lockout, yeah. you know, and, and, and that is, um, is an interesting issue uh, because the contract expired December 1st. So uh, for a union to uh, decide whether or not, uh, you know, to put economic pressure to help their bargaining, 
which is really all they can do. I mean, you know, if, if a statute says the employer doesn't have to agree to anything, a union has to have some, you know, some weapons. And that's what the courts call them. Anything a union does, including the right to strike, is considered a weapon. And the Supreme Court has said the courts will not weigh in on what those weapons are. Uh, employers also have some weapons. You know, if, if the workers go out on strike and they're economic strikers uh, to put pressure on the employer, the workers can be permanently replaced, right. which is interesting. They, they, you know, they, they can't be fired for joining the union, but if the union goes on strike and, and, and they, they call a strike to put pressure on the employer, they can all be permanently replaced. Uh, and um, though they retain the rights to, to you know, to reinstatement uh, for a period of time, uh, you know, it, it's daunting. So the employer has some weapons too. One of the weapons when you, you think about uh, lockout um, you know, is that uh, it's the employer's option to a strike. Uh, they can't, you know, they can't strike, but they can lock out the workers. The employer had the same kind of weapon the unions did. So the only kind of limitations on an employer in terms of locking out, they can't lock someone out in support of an, un, an unlawful premise. Like they, they're asking for a subject in the bargaining that is not a mandatory subject of bargaining. They can't lock out to enforce that. Um, so, but other than that, they can do that. The Supreme Court specifically said a union is not losing anything by a lockout because all they've lost is the timing of the strike. They mm. still have a right, a right to strike, uh, and and the lockout in in essence is uh, is the employer's weapon. Uh, interestingly, in a lockout, the employer can't permanently replace the workers, like. Uh, an employer you know, who has faced a strike. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing 
ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. What what should people watch for during a lockout? What what are what are the things that can happen? Obviously, they'll continue bargaining, right? Um, but are, are are there other uh, things that the public should be aware of? Uh, uh, impasse is one thing I, I wouldn't mind you explaining, but um, if there's anything else as well uh, that you think is worth mentioning, yeah, uh, you know the the lockout and the strike. Uh, and even the impasse, which, which I'll talk about in a minute, you know, are really not the end of bargaining. Uh, you know, uh, an impasse is the right of an employer uh, who has to bargain in good faith, um, but not forever. Marathon bargaining is not required. They just have to bargain in good faith. And good faith you would define as a present intention to reach an agreement. You know, so uh, if, if you go into a, you know, uh, to buy a car, you know, you have people bargaining and, you know, about the price. Well, hopefully you're going to reach an agreement, yeah. uh, but not, but in, in labor law, you know, it's not always the case that an employer really wants to reach an agreement. They could be at the bargaining table and going through bargaining on the surface. They could be just bargaining enough just to make it look like they're, they're trying. So cases can be filed with the regional director and an investigation will be made as to how the bargaining has been going. So impasse is just one tool that the employer can say, look, I bargained in good faith. Uh, I can't go any further. You know, I, I'm, um, I've agreed to all that I want to agree to and all, all that I can to remain competitive, um, you know, or, or any other reason. They're saying, like, this is it. This is as far as I can go. In my experience, labor people are, are incredibly practical uh, and, and will try to reach an agreement that they can live with uh, rather than the best possible agreement and, and try to, um, you know, to work out a, a deal that, uh, you know, deals with each side's interests. So that's what I, I would be hoping for in, in this is that um, the, nothing stops during the impasse. The, um, uh, you know, you can, you can continue to bargain or you know, try to resume bargaining because the implementation has just set terms, which the employer is free to do. Same thing with the lockout. You know, the parties will continue to bargain. Hopefully, uh, as they've done in the past, um, you know, the people will um, will be able to see uh, that uh, the parties have reached an agreement and spring training can start. And those of us who are Met fans can say, you know, the, the, the hole that we've gotten in uh, free agency, you know, we might be able to see something on the field that, this might be the year where we turn it around. You got to believe. Yeah, um, believe. So it, it, it's the case that impasse is something that the union, the players union would be trying to avoid. Correct. Right. Correct. 
my understanding is that the 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 function of the NLRB can be influenced by you know the current administration, whoever's in in office at the yes. time. It, uh, and therefore, because there's a Democratic president, the players, if there were a, a case or a charge that would be uh, moved by the NLRB, uh, would, would, there would be something of a benefit to players. Is there anything you can elaborate on there? Just how the, uh, what, what is the political element of the NLRB? Yeah, it's become more significant over time. When I first started the board in 1976, uh, a number of the board members were um, were folks who never represented a party, either a union or a management. Uh, John Fanning was a director of labor relations for the Department of Defense, became a board member for 25 years. That's five five-year terms. Uh, Professor Howard Jenkins from uh, Howard University became a, a Republican appointee to the board, uh, served 20 years. And oftentimes the, the Democrat Fanning and the Republican appointee uh, um, would join in a dissent. Um, it's, it's during the 80s when we started to see more politicization of the appointments uh, where people were, um, uh, were more anxious to change policy. Uh, you know, it used to be the board would only change policy when you know, industrial necessities, changes in, in the industry required um, you know, some modification of, of board's you know, theories on finding uh, violations of the law. Uh, and then in the last... You know, you know, 30 years now, going back to the 80s, every political change has led to a um, the president appointing a majority. Um, now, the statute doesn't say, you know, that there has to be a majority of any of any side. But by congressional agreement, the president can appoint three members of the, of the board and the, and the, the uh, opposite party can appoint two. So it's always a three two decision. Uh, there are five year terms over five years, it's one term, one board member comes due every year. So um, the Biden administration was just able to appoint two board members to vacancies that gave them a three-two majority. So there will be a a, a more pro-worker, um, you know, board, uh, you know, that will be looking at at, at appeals. Right, right. L- uh, last thing, it, sp- sports cases seem to have. We, we could say millionaires versus billionaires. People don't like that. Uh, people who are involved don't like that dismissive attitude toward it. But I, I do think there is a segment of the public who, who sees that. As someone who worked on the ground here, how do sports cases fit in overall? Do they impact what happens uh, in outside industry? Uh, are, are they um, – should they be looked at as equivalent to others? Uh, how, how do they how do they fit into the landscape? That's a really great question, Evan. I mean, you know, um, every case that, that that you handle where workers uh, have been fired, it doesn't get pub- it doesn't get published. You know, people don't see that they get fired because they tried to form a union. But you know, when when Sam McCollum from the Seattle Seahawks, uh, you know, who was a um, a player rep during the uh, 1982 strikes, so it goes back in history. Um, he got discharged because he led a, a dispute before games, a, a protest before each game with a handshake where both teams met at midfield and, and shook hands, which you never saw, right? Because, you know, the whole thing was, you know, you know, enemy armies are going after each other. And that's a whole idea of the NFL, you know, taking grand and militaristic kind of view. Um, but to show the players showing solidarity, 
um, led to the discharge of Sam McCollum, the Seattle Seahawk wide receiver. I got to litigate that case. Hmm. I got such incredible uh, publicity, you know, uh, I, sitting in Seattle because they sent me from New York out to Seattle to try the case. Um, I was uh, you know, having breakfast and the waitress comes up and she said, I saw you on TV because the administrative <laughs> law judge had allowed the uh, opening statements of the trial to be televised televised. It got a lot of publicity. I was in the New York Times uh, for that case. And uh, I also wrote the umpire's decision uh, when Richie Phillips's union was decertified. I was in, in the New York Times sports section for three consecutive days. Wow. I'd always hoped it had been for being center fielder for the, uh, you know, for the Mets. But, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I made the sports. <laughs> those cases get publicity and people learn about the act and they learn about the law and they learn about the rights that, that everyone has under the National Labor Relations Act. So um, it is something that people complain about, that why are only those cases publicized? But it's a reality. You know, more people are interested in. I think from this, people are going to learn labor law. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm hoping you take my labor law class at Brooklyn Law School. You know what? We, we might have to make that happen. <laughs> if there's any more it might be time. If, if you're offering, uh, you, we, we should we should look into that. Every fall, I teach the uh, you know the um, labor law one class, which takes you from the beginning of the history of uh, the, the act being enacted until the current days, and through all of the changes in case law. In the spring, I teach a collective bargaining seminar. You know, I'm sure you know, you could come in and audit the class anytime you want. There we go. Right, live on the Athletic Baseball Show, we've got my next career move lined up. Going to go to law school with Dave. Dave, thank you so much for, A, the offer, but B, for, for taking some time with us. I really do appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure, Evan. Thanks so much. An oft-repeated reminder that you can save 33% off an annual subscription of The Athletic by going to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Dave. Thanks to you. For listening, up next in the Athletic Baseball Show feed is going to be Derek Van Riper and Keith Law on Friday. we got at least a couple more episodes of our labor show. We're going to run it probably through the end of this month. Not sure yet if we're going to keep it going into January. The lockout might keep going. Uh, one way or another, we'll have you covered. And for now, I'll see you next week. 